Hey family, I just want to say thank you for your generosity. It has made such a difference already in only nine months as a community. And I know you know this, but that's less than a year. In less than a year, we have given over $25,000 through missions and outreach. We have seen over 15 people be raised to life through baptism. And here's the best part. I want you to celebrate this because it's worth celebrating. More than 85 people have given their life to Jesus. Come on, family. That's what it's about. But you know what? That has been made possible by your generosity. But know this, family. There's more that we can do. There's more that we can do through missions. There's more for us to do in terms of seeing people be baptized. And listen, there are more souls to be saved. That's what the Bricklayers offering is all about. It's about the spirit of generosity coming together to see more lives change. So when we come together as a community on December 11th to give above and beyond family, we're coming together to see that happen so that more lives can be changed. Listen, Jesus is building his church and he's building it brick by brick. Today, but we've we've been in a, a collection uh, called Bricklayers. Uh, this is this is week three of that collection, and we we started it off. We've been talking. We've been using uh, Nehemiah to help guide us through uh, this collection, and, and, and Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He was a Jew working for a Persian king, and when he hears about the walls of Jerusalem needing to be rebuilt, he was are in ruins, and so they needed to be rebuilt. He was. He had a burden to rebuild the walls. And so we began uh, the collection because the collection's been bricklayers, a time to build. But how do you build according to the kingdom of God? In week one, we discussed that you, you need a burden, that, that you just don't go build, but you need a burden. Nehemiah had a burden uh, to build. And, and I won't get into all the specifics. You can go back on YouTube and, and check out uh, week one, a burden to build. And then Last week, we talked about that it wasn't just enough for him to have a burden, but he needed people, <laughs> that it took collaboration. And that's what building in the kingdom looks like. It looks like collaboration, that you can have a burden and you can have vision, but if there's no collaboration, then you're not going to be effective in what is being built. And so because we believe that the Becoming Church is being built brick by brick, that we all are bricklayers here, that it takes collaboration. It takes us collaborating together to advance the cause of Christ. And so this week, we're going to continue uh, that conversation, but we're going to do so coming from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. And so if you want to track with me, it's going to be available here on the screens. Or you can flip with me there as well with your Bibles or scroll, I should say, <clears throat> as well. So here we go. First Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. It says this. This is Paul talking. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of each week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of instruction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable to me to go also, they will accompany me. 
So what was happening here, a little context, the Jerusalem church was in need. Uh, They were suffering from poverty and famine. So Paul was collecting money for them to help meet their need. In this instance, he's doing it. uh, He's making appeal to the church in Corinth. Uh, The the Corinthian church uh, was the church that Paul had uh, planted on his second missionary journey. And so as you read 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 16, then into 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 and on to chapter 9, it kind of helps track with this whole story and and, and with this uh, encounter. And what, what you will see... Uh, is really the response of the Corinthian church and how they rallied around the Christians in Jerusalem uh, in supporting them and meeting uh, their need. And so today, uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to help, we're going to see how the church responded uh, to Paul's appeal. Y'all up to that this morning? Well, come on, let's do this. Let's pray. Father, uh, God, we thank you. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you Uh, for your grace, for your love, and for your mercy. God, thank you for what you're doing today. Thank you for this opportunity uh, to gather around your word. And Father, over these next few moments, God, I pray, uh, God, that you open our eyes. God, open our eyes. Allow us to see what it is that you're showing us. God, allow us to hear uh, what it is that you're speaking to us. And Lord, we say this, speak, Lord, because we're your servants. And we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Come on, come on. Everybody said. Amen. 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 Family, sometimes in life you have to have like these necessary conversations. Have you ever had a necessary conversation? You know. <laughs> I was going to joke. You know, like sometimes, you know, like in high school, I had to have these necessary conversations like, you know, like, God, just quit playing. I'm, I'm focused on my academics. Y'all stop chasing me. It, it just felt right for the moment. It's not true. <laughs> it just felt I had the opportunity. It wasn't true. It wasn't true. <laughs> but you, you have to have these necessary conversations. I don't know. Maybe um, there's uh, some meal that somebody prepares in your family. And they just swear by it. But everybody knows, like, it's not good. But everybody just go like, oh, thank you so much. This, the, we, this was the dish we was waiting on. Oh, man, mm, I'm full. That was the napkin, you know. Eventually, somebody's got to have a necessary conversation and say, hey, you know what? We want you to take this Thanksgiving off this year. You've been working your fingers down to the bone. And... Um, we just need you to, you know, take this, this Thanksgiving off. Unnecessary conversation. And <laughs> family, that's, that's true for us. That's true for what we're going to do this morning. We're going to have a necessary conversation. And our necessary conversation is not because, you know, oh, what's wrong? Or what's, what's the issue? Because some necessary conversations are conversations that, that, that you do need to have and, and have often. Like, for example... You know, it wasn't enough for me to tell Katie, like, I love you. And then I never say that to her ever again. (laughs) It's necessary that I express that. Like, you weren't good nine years ago when I told you I love you. Like, why do you need it again? Right? No, it doesn't make sense. And so this conversation we're going to have today is not because of a, a lack of something, 
but it's to continue to put in front of us and remind us of the opportunity we have to connect with what God is doing. And now everybody's like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the conversation of generosity or even specifically giving. So right there, everybody's like, I did not come to church. So you laughing. I hadn't even said it. <laughs> Everyone's like, I did not come to church to hear a conversation about giving. Why are you going to talk about my money? Why are you talking about my funds? I invited somebody today and told them it's good here, and now you're talking about giving, right? What is, what is wrong with you talking about generosity? Like, go somewhere else with that. But listen, the idea of, of generosity the idea of, of giving, the idea of, of finances and talking about it is not my idea. And sometimes I think for growth and for where God is calling us to, there are conversations that are necessary that we have to, to have to actually, to actually grow and, and to actually um, see where God is trying to, to get us to and to challenge us in some spaces. And this is one of those uh, areas. But Jesus, this is the model we're following, he had this conversation often. In fact, I can't prepare it for y'all. He talked about money often. And in fact, he talked about money more than anything except the kingdom of heaven. So outside of the kingdom of God, outside of the, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus discussed money. So imagine that. 16 of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money, and possessions. And then when you look in the Gospels, one out of ten verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. So I think right there it's clear that this is a conversation that us in church are supposed to have. And I get sometimes why there's the tension uh, there. And you may be like, this is not easy for me to listen to. Well, this is not easy for me to talk to you about it. <laughs> but it's still a necessary conversation. But I think sometimes that tension exists because of maybe things we've seen in the past in terms of like maybe, you know, the, the whole idea or culture of like celebrity preachers and, you know, define that or whatever that is. Or maybe, you know, in the 80s, especially in the early 90s where, you know, hey, send in, you know, this cloth and then I'll send it back to you. And for your gift, your seed of one hundred and fifty dollars, this is going to be a healing cloth for you and your family. And so there, you know, was the distrust that has kind of come into play whenever churches talk about giving and generosity. And so I'm not naive to, to, all right, to, to dismiss that and understand that. Um, but we've used, I've used this uh, enough that, you know, if you have a bad experience uh, with, with, I'm not going to name it because it's my favorite restaurant. Uh, I don't want to throw salt on their name. But a couple weeks ago, Katie and I went to lunch there. And, man, they, they, messed, they messed my plate up. I'm like, I've been here before. I had to make sure I wasn't tripping. I took a picture of the plate, sent it to my friend because he likes that restaurant as well. I was like, am I tripping? I know there's normally more fries on this plate than this. And he texts back, what is that? And that's what I felt. Like, what is that? But just this past Friday, me and Katie were back at that restaurant. So, in other words, there may have been organizations, churches, or whatever, 
that may have done wrong, that may have misused and abused people's trust, um, but that doesn't mean that we dismiss the whole thing. And so that's also where the heart of this conversation uh, is coming from. So I wanted to make that clear up front. I'm not naive in having this conversation, but it still is a necessary conversation uh, that we need to have. And so what I want to do is look at uh, Paul's appeal to the church in Corinth, and let's, let's draw uh, some observations about generosity. And so I'm going to call, call this observations about generosity. And here's the first observation that we're going to make this morning, is that generosity is our opportunity. So you can write that down. Generosity is our opportunity. You know, it's important to have values as a person, you know, as an individual, uh, as a family, uh, as, a, as a business, a corporation, and also as a church, uh, it's important to have values because values help get you back to where you need to be when things may get a little rocky, when things are maybe unclear or the water's a little murky, if you will. You have values that set you straight. Or maybe there's something that you're trying to figure out. Well, you go to your values to, to see is this something that I value? Is this something that, as a church, as an organization, that we value? Now, here at the Becoming Church, we, we have values. In fact, uh, they're, they're plastered over here in the auditorium. You can see our values. And one of those values is that generosity is our opportunity, that it's an opportunity for us as a church community to be generous. But as much as this is a value of the Becoming Church, it's not unique to us. We didn't come up with it. Generosity is a value of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to to follow God. You can go through the library of Scripture, and you can see all throughout it generosity taking place. You can see it whether it was Moses raising funds for the tabernacle, or if it was David raising money for the temple, which, by the way, David himself contributed in today's dollars over billions, I think $21 billion towards the building of the temple. Or maybe in Acts where you see the early church and how they lived and how they gave to help meet the needs of the community. So this idea of generosity being our opportunity isn't unique to us, but it's unique to what it means to be a follower of the way, the way of Jesus. And so here's what I imagine, family. What if we were generous in such a way that there were no needy people in our community? Come on, is, is that just, does that just blow you? I mean, that's what the early church, that's how they lived. They were selling possessions, selling things, and they were meeting the needs in the community. What if we lived and gave in such a way that there were no needs at the Becoming Church represented? How awesome is that? Some of us got it, but I mean, how awesome would that be? But even beyond that, like in in our community, in in Huntsville, in, in Madison, in this area, what if the Becoming Church could be a hub? Like, there's, there's a need, see a need, and meet a need. Generosity is our opportunity because it's in our DNA. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. 
right? His one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Giving is our opportunity. God gave us Jesus. Jesus gave his life. And we give so others can receive hope. Generosity is our opportunity. Here's another observation. Generosity is contagious. Generosity is contagious. You know, I remember working in environments where people would show up to work and they would, they would be making all kinds of sounds coming from their cubicle. And you're like, you okay over there? Oh, no, 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 don't, don't worry. Or they show up into the, the, the staff meeting and it's just the sound. You're like, you okay? No, it's, it's good. It's just the crud. You ever heard of that? So I would say, first of all, what is the crud? Can I look that up on WebMD? That is not a medical term. I do not know. And, and, and if, if you are in the medical community here, and that is indeed, please correct me. But I've, I don't know what the crud is. It sounds bad. It sounds like you shouldn't be here, which is, which is the second thing. You say it's not contagious. But by virtue of the sounds that you are making and the way you are coughing right now, it seems like you need to go home because you're contagious. And even if you're not, you're not all right. You are not okay. We're going to pray for you to be healed in Jesus' name and get rest at home. <laughs> Sound contagious. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 1 and 2. It says, there's no, this is Paul. He says, there's no need for me to write to you about this service. So this is like, I think it's like a year later. He's talking to the church in Corinth. So he spoke to them a year later and mentioned the need. And now here he is later talking to them. And he says, there's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. So Paul's bragging on them like, yo, they're ready to meet the need of the Christians in Jerusalem. Like the Corinthian church was so generous that their generosity was contagious. And so other churches were like, yo, they did what? We got to get in on this. We got to help meet these, the needs of the believers in Jerusalem as well. So the Corinthian church generosity was so contagious that it spread to other churches and it inspired them to give. What if we live with such a level of generosity that it set in motion the generosity of others? What if we were so generous that it moved other people to a level of generosity? So where people step back and it's like, yo, did you hear what the Becoming Church did? Did you hear what the Becoming Church gave away? Did you hear how they paid off the, the medical debt of so many people? Did you hear how they came together to, to purchase the, the, the minivan for the, the single mom of, of six children? Did you hear how they rallied around the unexpecting widow and helped provide it for her mortgage? Did you hear how they gave family? When you give to a church, you're not giving to a church, but you're giving through a church to go meet a need. That generosity can become contagious because understand this, we're not building to take. This idea of bricklayers is time to build. We're not building to take, but we're building to give. Here's the next observation. We're going to move through. 
Generosity, y'all all right? Generosity doesn't take from you, it adds to you. So generosity doesn't take from you, it adds to you. You know, I've had lots of conversations and with people who, not from me starting the conversation, but from them starting the conversation around like, man, how, or I'll say it this way, I've had a lot of conversations with people who haven't expressed generosity through giving yet because one of their questions is like how can I give to God's house when I have needs in my own house but listen family like like this idea of of giving it's it's not so that it's not encouraging this idea well take bricklayers offering next week the idea of bricklayers offering doesn't say hey you should skip your mortgage payment next week and give to the bricklayer's offering. You should skip Huntsville Utilities this month so that you can give to the bricklayer's offering. Like God is not asking you to, he's not asking us to bless his house while our house goes to ruins. Are you tracking with me? Because I believe that it's in blessing his house that our house is provided for. Come on. There's many of us in here, and, and if you're not one of them, fine. You got it figured out. But we have been provided for beyond our income. Can you attest to that? So it's not even giving to get because we can't give at a level to receive the fullness of what God has given to us anyway through the person of Jesus. So the idea that I'm giving to get is not a re- reality. But it's giving to understand what the Lord has given to me and to us. And we get to express generosity by giving back to what he's building. So generosity is not going to take from you. It's going to add to you. Now, Paul was, he says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So here's what Paul was doing in this moment. He was having to encourage some in the Corinthian church. They were concerned that if I give and I help meet the needs over here, like there's not going to be enough left to better meet the needs of my home. But that is what God is. God is not calling us to that. He's calling us to a level of generosity that's not going to take away from us, but it's going to add to us. And and. There's a scripture in Psalms 37, verse 25, I believe. It's 37, 25. And it's David talking. And he's like, I've been young and I've been old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. Now, some people have misused uh, that scripture, especially like in some of this, you know, prosperity gospel kind of way. Because the truth is, there's going to be Christians who fall on hard times. There's, there's going to be Christians whose finances, you know, don't, they need, they need help. There's, there's going to be famine. There's going to be difficult. Like, we know that from the past two years. Like, so we know that. But when you take the full context of that scripture, oh, excuse me, of that chapter, it's, there's wisdom that's contained in that particular chapter. So then, could it be for some of us, while we may feel like, 
if I'm generous here and I'm giving towards here, then I'm going to lack here. It's not so much because of what I'm giving will take away from my home, but could it be because we haven't applied wisdom towards the handling of our resources? So therefore, it seems like we don't have enough to make sure our home is to make sure that we're generous towards the Lord and our home is taken care of. Are you tracking with me? So Katie and I was actually having this conversation, not this particular conversation, but we were having a conversation that relates to this yesterday. We're talking about the idea of investing and, 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 you know, different things of that nature and why it can be a struggle uh, for some people or why it could be easier for some people than they think. And one of the things was I came across this podcast that was talking about, think about a weekend out. Or just a Friday night. That may be anywhere from a $200 to $500 tab you've ran up. Whether it was paying for the place you went to. Whether it was the parking. And depending on the festivities. We'll we'll go with that. That that you may have enjoyed. You may be sitting at $500. That's just Friday night. Oh, then you're going to go to brunch on Sunday. Don't go at 10 a.m. Go at 12. Some of you caught that. But you're going to go to brunch. There's more taps. So before you know it, you've hit a five, $600 weekend. Now you look at that throughout the year. And so then when so-and-so is like, yo, you should jump on, you should invest in, in investment properties and stocks and whatever, you're like, oh, I can't afford that because I don't have the down payment. But then you start to add just a Friday night up, and you're like, man, they go 10 grand right there that I could have partnered with you on that deal. So could it be in terms of what we're talking about here, sowing sparingly or being afraid that our needs won't be met, is really maybe a lack of wisdom how we may be handling our finances. So sometimes the prayer is for more when God is like, but the more is already in your hands. So if two fish, yeah, if two fish and five loaves of bread can feed thousands, it was much more than five. They didn't count men, women, and children. Some believe it was upwards of 20,000 people. It was because there was a willingness to take what was in my hands. Jesus thanked God for it. He, he, he thanked the Lord for it. He, he asked God to bless it, and it was multiplied. So could it be that what is direct deposit to you, however you get paid, if you ask God to bless it, if you thank him for it, then the more that you need is actually already in your hands because there's a level of wisdom that needs to be applied. I drink coffee at home more than I drink out because I'm like, that is $8. I'll move on. It's $8 for that latte that they halfway made. and It was nasty. I got to move on. Recently, I went to one coffee shop. I called Katie. I was like, this coffee is trash. <laughs> I literally threw it away. I sipped it, walked out the shop, and threw it away in the trash right there. It was bad. Drove to another shop, got it. I was like, this is, they're normally on it. It was nasty. Ended up coming home, making my own coffee. $20 later, down the drain. And I drank the coffee that I already had at the house. So there's wisdom that we can apply. So generosity is not a call that's going to take from you, but it's going to add to you. And some people say, well, they make a lot of money, so it's easy for, the, for them to give. Listen, it's not about an amount you give. It's the posture you give from. 
and understand this, giving isn't exact. It's proportional. So it's not about equal giving, but it's about equal sacrifice. It's not proportional. It's not equal giving, but it's equal sacrifice. Here's the fifth, excuse me, fourth observation. Is that generosity can be expressed cheerfully. So we're working on our kids to share and be nice. And sometimes you're like, share your toy or go over there and say hi. And it's like, you know, you're pushing them and they're like dragging their feet. They're not excited to share. They're not excited to be generous. Now, sometimes some of us, we can give like that sometimes. <sighs> well, I guess I'll give. Fine. I did like the third song today. <laughs> so I'll give. He didn't preach on that one thing that I, I don't like, so that's cool. I'll give. No. I mean, it says it in Scripture, so I guess. <laughs> but listen, family, giving should never be about a have to. Giving should be about a get to. That saying we get to give is not just a little church slogan. We get to give because the fact that we're able to give is a reflection of God's grace and what he has provided to us. So we get to give. We don't have to give. We get to give. It's a chance to give back what the Lord has given to us. And honestly, if we slow down a little bit, we actually may be using the wrong verbiage in terms of we're giving back. You say, what are you talking about? Maybe we're not actually giving back. Maybe we're actually returning. Because it's not ours. He gave to us. And then he says, here's the the 10% over here. You keep the 90. But he gave all 100%. Of what we have, our health, our life, ability to think and get up and all that. You said, well, I, I did these things. No, he gave you the intellect. He gave you the creativity. He gave you that thought. He helped you build those relationships. He, you, you thought you were good at networking. No, that was just God's grace putting you in rooms that in and of yourself you can get yourself in. That was the grace of God. So in, in, actual, in reality, we're returning to the Lord. We're not even really giving. So it's, it's really, we, we get to do this. It's like living in your parents' house. They, they're like, hey, don't lock that door. That's my door. That's not your room. That's my room. I'm letting you use my room. Your mother and I, we have stuff. You don't have anything. This is mine. This is ours. That's a lot what the Lord gives us. He's like, no, no, no. You, you're not giving me anything. You're returning what I gave you. <laughs> you know, when we announced the bricklayer's offering, we didn't receive it right away. And, and, and one of the reasons we didn't receive it right away, I think it's, it's going to be like 10 weeks or something, was that we wanted there to be space between when we announced it and when it's received. And the reason for that was really a, a biblical reason that Paul hints at here in 2 Corinthians 9-7. He says, each of you should give 
what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when we announce the offering, we don't want you to be, ooh, let me say this. This reminded me of something. Last Sunday, there may have been a word that y'all were like, what was he saying? We were talking about opposition. Do y'all remember this? And I was up here like, opposition. I was standing here last Sunday, and I was, I was feeling that it was wrong. I was like, this is, this is not it, but I can't correct it right now. What is it? And at lunch, Kate was like, what word were you saying? I was like, it was something that was off. So Sunday night, I rewatched the message after it finished downloading. And I was like, oh, God. I said like 30 times. I was like, we got to face opposition. Come on, we can't hold the people of God back. Opposition. I don't know why this reminded me of that, but Lord, remove the opposition. Because we don't know what to do with no opposition. Where was I? So Paul said, each of you should give. Yeah, so the reason why we, it, it was biblical, why there is the space. Because we don't want you to give out of compulsion, out of excitement, out of this zeal. Like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Let's give. Like, no, have you had, have you had time to speak to the Lord? Have you had time to make sure you, you and your spouse have prayed this through and you're together on this? And, and not, you know, here, take it. No, because that won't even be honored. Because Scripture says God loves a cheerful giver. Not a reluctant one, not one under compulsion. That's why giving is not, you know, a lot of people will use Malachi 3.10, like how has a man robbed God, all that stuff. But giving should never be about, let me drop this scripture on you and I'm going to force you to give. Because now it's reluctant. And the new covenant says God loves a cheerful giver. Not one who's giving simply out of an obligation, but giving out of love. Giving out of realizing, one, I can never give to, I'm not trying to repay you, but Lord, this is just an expression of my heart because of your heart towards us through your generosity already expressed through Jesus. So generosity can only be expressed cheerfully. Generosity travels. Our sending church in Dothan, Dothan First, it's a very mission-minded, mission-focused church. And during our time there, and it's probably still this way or even more, uh, they financially supported 60 uh, missionaries in various areas of the world and some of the far-reaching places and very difficult-to-get-to places. Now, many people who gave towards that, I mean, even, even in youth, you know, we, we were a church there of about 350 people, but yet uh, within the denomination that that church was in, we would always consistently rank not just in the top five, but in the top, excuse me, top 10, but in the top five of student giving towards mission. There were churches of 20,000 and 10,000 that were included in that list, but yet, so we were very focused on missions and people were very generous towards it. But what was cool about that was that people were able to give towards uh, the, the mission, missionaries there on the ground in places that they'll never be. And so all of us, we're not called to, to India. We're not, we're not uh, called to, to, to China. We're not called to um, some of these far-reaching places that is very difficult to get to that you can't even share where you are. 
But through generosity, we can be there. So we may not be able to be there physically, but through generosity that travels, we can be there because of that. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, 3. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. So they weren't even going to go there, but their generosity was going to be there because generosity travels. And thank you, church, for your generosity because your generosity travels. It's traveled over these last nine months. That because of your generosity, we've been able with our partnership with ARC, the Association of Related Churches, We've seen 63 churches planted this year because of your generosity. That's a good place to clap because that's 63 cities where hope is being found, where freedom has happened, where people are being saved. We fed thousands of people through the mobile food pantry in partnership with other churches. We provided Thousands of dollars, these are not fake figures, we provided thousands of dollars uh, to Florida for Hurricane Ian relief. Your generosity travels. It travels across the street, across the nation, and across the globe. Generosity travels. And here's the last observation this morning. Generosity takes faith. Generosity is not a calculated decision, but it's a faithful one. You can't, you know, if I carry the one into this thing. You can't calculate yourself into generosity. The move of generosity on your heart, it requires faith. I've had so many conversations with people who are different, who are at different levels in their faith journey when it comes to generosity. And they ask me, you give what percentage of your income away? You did what? There's no way. I'm like, I know. It takes faith. 2 Corinthians 9.6, it says, going back to this, it says, remember, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I'm not a farmer, but in my opinion, they're some of the most faith-filled people I know. And maybe it's because I don't know what I'm doing if I tried it. You know, Michael, you'll come, we're closing. But they just throw seeds on the ground, and then they expect something to happen. There's no calculation in it. There's no, but they expect it. Maybe because the soil is right, the conditions are right. And I just feel when it comes to generosity, that's got to help your heart. Like I want to give because the condition of my heart is right. Not because I've calculated everything. Not because I've figured everything out. But because I'm trusting you. Not just with my eternity, but I'm trusting you with my finances. I'm trusting you with every area of my life, family, that takes faith. As we close, Bricklayers has been centered around Nehemiah and his heart to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in chapter 5, we see the generosity of Nehemiah taking place. It comes into play in rebuilding the walls. And so Nehemiah had been appointed governor um, by King Artaxerxes. And there were previous governors before him. And the previous governors, they took advantage of the cushiness of the position. But that came at a cost. That cost was trickled down to the people. That they had to pretty much pay for this lavish lifestyle that the governors enjoyed. But Nehemiah saw that. And he didn't take advantage 
of any of the cushiness that that position came with. Instead, he was generous. He found a way to be generous to the people. In Nehemiah 5, 17, it says, Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table. This is Nehemiah. As well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Family, generosity, it brings others to the table who once thought they didn't have a place. That our ability to bring, to, to be generous, to express generosity, it brings people to the table and says, you belong here. Belong to community. That you have a seat at this table. You may have felt ostracized. You may have felt like you didn't belong. You may have felt like you didn't fit in. Listen, you belong at this table. You have a place. And here's the thing I want us to catch. It's through generosity that we're building a place to bring others to the table. That's what Bricklayers is about. It's about making room. And I'm not talking about the offering. I'm talking about the way we live our lives. That we make room for people to have a seat at the table. God, how can I be generous with my compliments? Tomorrow, find three people you can compliment. Don't just think that they did a good job in the moment. Tell them they did a good job. Make room. Somebody's wearing a nice sweater today. You see it on your way out. Tell them the sweater looks good. And ask them if it's your size. Maybe they'll give it to you. Give and it will come back to you. But find a way to be generous today. Because that's how we make room for others. Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, for your express generosity through Jesus. For you so loved us that you gave us Jesus. And so, Lord, even what we have is not ours, but it's what you've given to us. And that's not just finances, but that's the breath that we breathe. You give it to us. So, Lord, with what we have been given, our life, help us to be generous with it, with our time, with our talent, and also, Lord, with our treasure. Help us to trust you in all things, for all things, and through all things. God, thank you for the Becoming Church. That is such a generous church. Even as I had that revelation even deeper this week, <laughs> that what you have allowed us to be a part of, this is not normal. Thank you for the hearts of your people that have called God generosity, but also thank you for the level of generosity that you're calling us to go to. Maybe some in this room, you haven't experienced the greatest expression of generosity. And that's the gift of Jesus. That God has already gave something for you that you haven't even been looking for or may not even know that's available. And as an, an ambassador this morning, I want to invite you to receive the greatest gift that has ever been given. It's salvation from Jesus. Maybe you've been trying to do this on your own for a while and you found it difficult. You found that oh, it's been cool, but there's been lots of ups and downs and you've just been running and you're ready to say yes to Jesus. As an ambassador, I'm making that appeal to say yes today. So I'm not going to make this long. 
If that's you, I'm simply just going to ask you to raise your hand. We're just going to lead you in a prayer that you're ready to receive the greatest gift of Jesus and put your trust in him. And so with no hesitation, if that's you, if you could just raise your hand across this place. Amen. I see it. I see it. Place your hands now. I want to invite all of us uh, to say this prayer, but especially those who raised your hands. Can you say this? Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe in you. I believe that you are Lord, and I believe that you're Savior. So today, give me a brand new start. Wipe away my past and allow me to live a generous life. I love you, I trust you, and I live for you. In Jesus' name.